It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. We uh, we almost made it all the way uh, to the grasshopper there, but uh, not quite uh, today. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking big here in the picture, so I'm I'm backing off here. Wait a second, but we have a special guest at the bottom of the screen. Is this a legato moment? It's a legato moment on camera. I got that. You see, I didn't even have to show the picture of you. (laughs) Have you ever seen a cat who uh, didn't want to be in a place more than this one is right now? Look into the camera. Say hi to everybody. All right, I'm going to let you go. And I'm hanging around. Yeah, yeah. She just doesn't understand why she keeps getting manipulated here. It's because she's uh, everybody's favorite cat. That's all I can say. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Good morning. It's a, an important show for us today. We're very, very pleased to be talking about energy policy in Illinois. We're also going to be talking about other stuff uh, later on, a, a wide range of things at, at 10 o'clock that Peggy and I are going to uh, discuss. But uh, we're going to start with uh, what's been happening in Springfield uh, all year. And uh, was supposed to happen in uh, May, did not happen, um, and now the, the legislators are coming back for a special session. Uh, can the governor and the legislators and environmentalists and industry people and unions all get together and craft an energy policy uh, mm-hmm. in Illinois that was supposed to be uh, one of, uh, in the forefront of energy policies of all 50 states? Uh, back uh, when they were discussing it. Supposed to be, yeah, one of the greenest policies. We were supposed to be one of the greenest states. Guess what? We're not, and um, not yet. Um, and uh, perhaps we'll get there. Are we pea soup green? Maybe. Um, maybe um, um, hotel wall uh, ugly <laughs> green right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's it. So. Oh, uh, by the way, JC just texted me. He is back in. He's back. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That um, if you were watching the countdown, you saw Peggy's image. That was a a, a function of <laughs> last minute scrambling, just uh, to. Uh, and I got a feeling that your image when we come up is no. It's actually going to be fine. I think uh, we'll see. Um, I I've just it's been a little mad dash here. You know, as it is always on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. when you do live streaming, uh, and we want to welcome everybody. You know, I haven't even turned on 
uh, the chat box yet, and it'll probably make me sign in. Oh, we've got Ernest is watching us. Okay. Uh, Skeet's out there. Amos is out there. Snappy J Dog's out there. Max out there. Okay, good. Glad they're all watching. And, of course, it won't show up on mine uh, for another 10 minutes. Uh, but we welcome everybody to the show. Um, and uh, obviously, and one of the other things I was doing uh, crazily before the show was loading images from Rick DeMaio uh, because we have a, a Cat 5 hurricane about to slam well, into Louisiana. Maybe to become a Cat 5. It's still a 4. Was it? I thought I heard. Okay, I was listening to CNN this morning, and they were saying Cat 5. So... They they might have misled. They might have misled me. Four. Who says four? Uh, Tribune and I, whatever the other headline is that came in over my phone. Okay, well then now it's cat four. Or, or, or somebody said when it's a hundred and whatever miles per hour, what's another five miles an hour? It's bad. Yeah, um, yeah. In fact, let me just give you a, a really quick. Uh, overview of of what we're talking about here. Whoop! No, 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 no. I don't want that. I want. No, 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 no. That's legata. I meant this. Okay. This is what the sunrise looked like uh, over the Gulf of Mexico. Look at that. That is just nasty. And I'm going to try to have an uh, updated image when we get to uh, Rick DeMaio um, this morning. Uh, because this is uh, it, it is so scary to see something like this, and here comes the image again. It takes a second, and then the sun rises, and that's what you see. So uh, we will be talking to uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio about that later today. So I think we should get to the business at hand, and let's uh, bring in our screen, and then what I'm going to have to do is make sure that everybody's mics are on here as well. So uh, hang on a second while I turn on the mics for uh, Lisa Albrecht, who you can see in the lower left corner, uh, who is a friend of the show. Uh, in full disclosure, she was at one time uh, one of the co-hosts of the Mike Novak show before Peggy Malecki. Um, and, uh, but she's also the owner and founder of Albright Solar, a residential and small commercial company based in Chicago and a board member of the Illinois Solar Energy uh, Association. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Mike. It's been a while. Uh, so de- glad to be here. It was December. And one of the things we're going to talk about is is what you said in December and how you predicted some of the things that are are going on uh, right now. Uh, in the lower right corner is J.C. Kibbe, who's uh, an Illinois clean energy advocate with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Some folks know it as the NRDC, um, where he analyzes and advocates for policies that advance renewable energy energy efficiency, clean transportation, sustainable development, and grid modernization. And he's also been working on this bill uh, that is wending its way slowly through the Illinois General Assembly. Good morning, JC. Good morning, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank you. And thank your computer for me. Uh, for uh, for deciding to cooperate <laughs> at about 9.59 or 8.59 uh, Central Time. So we're so glad to have you here. All right. Um, I'm not going to walk us through everything that happened this spring. I'm going to let you do that, uh, JC, because uh, you're, you have boots on the ground there, and you have been doing this um, all, all year. Um, so can you 
you don't have to well go into whatever detail you want but please set up the story uh, how did things happen and unfold in spring uh in springfield sure well if i can go back just one step further than that and then pivot to what happened in the spring mike sure um we've been working on this bill for more than three years now and I don't, I'm not going to go through the whole history, but I think the most important thing to know is that in a state that has a reputation for bills getting written in smoke-filled rooms, the Clean Energy Jobs Act was written with input from people from all over the state of Illinois. We had more than 100 town halls from uh, Peoria to Carbondale to Waukegan, all over the state, and asked people what do they want in their clean energy future. And we heard loud and clear, uh, we want 100% clean energy. And, and, and if, and if I can if I can interrupt for a second, that, that follows on the heels of the Future Energy Jobs Act, unless that was what you meant to say. But the Future Energy Jobs Act, which was passed in 2016, right? That's right, under Governor Rauner. Okay, continue. And, and, and our horizons have expanded a bit since then, and we're very fortunate to have real leadership in the governor's office at this point on the issue of climate change. I think, and that's that's been really important as we've gone through this. Okay. Um, so, so on that note, Governor Pritzker originally said in his State of the State in 2020 uh, that, it was, that it was time to take on climate change, to make Illinois a leader in clean energy. Uh, and you'll recall not long after that, right? So that would have been, what, in, in uh, February of, of 2020 or thereabouts. And uh, just after that, uh, coronavirus hit. And uh, so, so that derailed a lot of what, what we were hoping to do in 2020. So we came in the spring in 2021, uh, planning to do it then. Uh, we made a lot of progress. We had, the governor had working groups. There were legislative working groups. There was a lot of negotiations. And uh, we, we came to those negotiations in, in good faith. Uh, we, we kept what we thought was a really strong bill, but we made some, some concessions to political reality and some of our counterparties. Uh, and as you mentioned, it did not end up going in the spring session this year. And I got to tell you, that was a rough uh, May 31st under the Capitol Dome for me. Um, and just to be really blunt about what happened, the fossil fuel industry blocked this bill at the 11th hour uh, and other fossil fuel interests. Um, so there was another session over the summer to try to get this thing done, a special session. And essentially the same thing happened uh, again. Um, you know, I, I think that there are some interests that would have liked to push through a bill that was kind of greenwashed, that maybe purported to do some of the things that we're doing, but in reality uh, did not. But again, we're fortunate to have some really strong legislative champions who have said, no way, this has to be a real bill to act on climate change. This has to be a real bill to get us to 100% clean energy. And Governor Pritzker has been right there with us as well. We've been working really closely with the governor. So uh, we now have a special session coming up on August 31st. I'm very hopeful that we can get something done then. Um, but, you know, we're, we're up against some deadlines now. And, and one of those is on August 31st, as Lisa can tell you better than I can. Our solar industry is set to lose a really substantial amount of money, over $300 million. Um, mm -hmm. And so we, we need to we need to act quickly because we don't have time to be waiting. We don't have time to be throwing money out the window when the science tells us that we need to be deploying solar and wind as quickly as we possibly can. Um, yeah. So I'll why? There for a well, why don't we let Lisa uh, tell us um, exactly what is going to happen on the 31st and what has been 
the ramifications of this bill not passing in uh, Springfield uh, in uh, in the spring session? Yeah, well, I'll take a step back into history, too, to just kind of give a, a rundown so folks can understand what's been going on in solar. So, uh, you know, so in January of 2019, we finally launched uh, the, uh, the outcome of the future Job Energy Jobs Act uh, and the Renewable Energy Credit Program, which is the incentives that uh, solar, uh, uh, Illinois solar owners uh, can benefit from, whether it's residential, commercial, you know, so small scale, large scale. Uh, that program launched in January of 2019. By February of 2019, the industry realized that our growth rate was going to far exceed um, the revenues that were available. So as JC said, we've been working on these bills for a very long time. Um, that reality hit much faster than even the industry anticipated. Adoption of solar has been through the roof. Uh, in fact, um, in just a short period of time, we've installed, uh, I think it's 20, 22,000 systems um, in the last two years. So growth was off the charts of anything any analyst had ever anticipated that we could do. Um, in uh, February, statewide, statewide. Yes, statewide. Top to bottom, left to right. We've and, done and, it all. And, and, so and solar if, is happening in every district in, in Illinois, which is and, really incredible. And it shows that uh, there is tremendous interest for people cleaning up the environment. Uh, and, uh, and, Lisa, and, Lisa, and if I might jump in, that was because, again, yeah. of the Future Energy Jobs Act, which opened the door to this, and people had an anticipation, solar uh, providers throughout the country uh, and people who wanted to start those kinds of businesses had the idea that, wow, Illinois is going to be in the forefront of this, we better get over to that state. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, when we were working um, so hard uh, uh, with our environmental friends and everyone else, um, so many stakeholders uh, in 2016 to pass this legislation. Um, you know, we kept saying, if you build it, they will come, and they did. The solar companies came in mass yeah. in Illinois. Uh, tremendous job growth, um, and the deployment was something that really analysts, and that's one of the exciting things about renewables. You know, so often we hear um, people say, well, we can't possibly move to a clean energy economy because we can't build it as fast as we need to. We're building it as fast as we can globally. Uh, And every single time analysts forecast what solar and wind can do, uh, the industries blow past those numbers. So it's not fodder when, you know, the industries talk about how much we can actually deploy. It's really happening. Uh, and what's what's really challenging is that, so we ran out of commercial incentives in February of 2020, and then the pandemic hit. Uh, and so commercial projects started to move onto what's called a wait list. Um, some projects move forward um, on the basis that they trust that eventually these programs will be reinstated, but a lot, particularly because they're businesses, you know, they need that reassurance that the funds are there. Uh, and not just a hope and a promise. It's a little bit of an easier risk for a homeowner to take than necessarily for a business to take. Um, And then moving forward, uh, December of 2020, uh, we ran out of residential incentives. uh, And there was a race to the front door, or to the back door, really, because we could see that that we were running out. uh, And so uh, we ran out of incentives in December of 2020. And since then, the solar industry has been completely decimated. Installations are down 90%, 9 uh, and, wow. and that's worse than, you know, the pandemic had on, on restaurants. Uh, and sadly, 
if it wasn't for the fact that COVID hit and many businesses, including my own, were able to receive PPP funding, uh, we would have seen even greater job losses across the sector. So the industry has been completely crippled um, by the lack of passage of this legislation. Um, the, the milestones, the, the goalpost keeps moving and moving and moving. And frankly, I haven't slept in a year. Uh, you know, it's it's really exhausting. Um, the companies that are out there that came to Illinois, you know, they have no faith right now because we keep saying, OK, we're going to pass it in lame duck. We're going to pass it by May 31st. We're going to pass it in June. You know, and here we are at the end of August and we have no idea if it's even going to be called to vote this week. So it's really been incredibly difficult. And the rest of the country is watching and possibly walking away from Illinois if we don't do something and act quickly. Well, something else that we haven't quite gotten to, and boy, I, I'm looking at the clock and I realize how little time we have you to know. discuss a really complex issue, um, is um, uh, nuclear energy and the proposed bailout, which is part of the package. And, and, and to be clear, there were several bi- bills that were competing at the beginning of the session that I guess have been sort of moved into one um, and uh, that involves a seven hundred uh, million million, right? With an M, right? Million dollar bailout uh, to uh, the nuclear plants, three nuclear plants uh, owned by Exelon in the state of Illinois. Now, uh, at the bottom of Byron. pardon, Dred- the Dresden and Byron plants, right? right. And um, and one more, right? Um, but uh, the Thank you. And um, uh, come at the bottom of the hour, uh, we will be talking to Dave Kraft uh, from the Nuclear Energy Information Service about his views on those plants. But for now, the environmentalists and uh, the legislators and the union guys said, we can live with this bailout because we can get clean energy passed. We can get solar funded. Uh, And then in May, there became there there arose a hang up with a coal fire plant and the idea of phasing out coal fire by 2035 and gas fired plants by 2045 which now in the scheme of things isn't even that uh, forward looking uh, compared to other states in the country uh JC can you tell us how that hang up happened yeah uh <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I would just add to the to the point that you made about the the nuclear piece of all this. That um, you know, we we've heard that 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 is the number one priority of the Illinois AFL CIO. Um, so I, I say that without judgment. Uh, but you know, they are a uh, a powerful force down in Springfield. They have a lot of members all over the state, and um, you know, so so they have had an opportunity to set some of this agenda here and, and, and that nuclear piece has gotten into the mix. Um, but from, from our perspective, when we talk about uh, a carbon-free power sector, as you said, at this point, what is on the table is, is really what we need just to keep pace with the other states that are acting mm-hmm. on climate change, a 100% carbon-free power sector by 2045. Um, so in the, end of, in the end of May, it was... I think largely, but not exclusively, some of the folks from uh, Prey State uh, coal plant uh, that were trying to block this thing. Um, that is the seventh largest uh, polluter in the United States. It's the largest in Illinois. 
it kills someone from its pollution every five days, 76 people a year, according to the Clean Air Task Force. And so they were looking for an exemption from all this. They were looking to stay open, I guess, indefinitely in their minds. Um, and that's just not something we can afford. It's not something our climate can afford. It's not something the people who live near that plant and breathe in those toxins can afford. 100% um, carbon-free power means 100% carbon-free power. Did that happen at the 11th hour? Yes. <laughs> okay. Like that, that was something that happened at about 11 p.m. Um, towards the end of the legislative session. And, and suddenly – go ahead, Peggy. I was going to say, and doesn't that plant have a lot it, – one, it's a new plant. It was built in, I think, 2012 or something like that. But doesn't that have a big tie-in with a lot of municipalities, including Naperville and uh, several others in the area that purchase their power from there? It does. Um, and I would and, – and they make a lot of arguments about – when, when they were trying to build this plant, they made a lot of arguments about how affordable and great this power was going to be. Um, and anybody who knows anything about it will tell you that that did not come to pass. Uh, it's not a good deal. The power is not affordable. A lot of these municipalities are really strapped. Some of them had to pass tax increases uh, outside even of their electric bills just so that they could wow. pay for this expensive power that they're getting here. And every municipal elected official that I've talked about this, I haven't talked to one who thinks, yeah, this is a great deal. They, they may say, they may think, oh, we got to slog through this contract, but everybody acknowledges that this thing is a huge uh, cluster. And so, so. Boondoggle. Yes. And, and, and we've looked, boondoggle is exactly the right word, Peggy. And we've looked at the economics of this. There's a great report from RMI uh, called Transition Opportunities for the Prairie State Energy Campus that shows that these municipalities could get their energy cheaper from, guess where, renewables. Uh, energy mm -hmm. efficiency, demand response, right? All these things that we know uh, work and are affordable. And so with a 2045 date, honestly, uh, most of those municipalities are going to be at the end of their contracts anyway. Um, I think that this is really a matter of that plant simply wanting to uh, keep running forever uh, for its own reasons, not for anything to do with the municipalities. And we just, we can't be burning coal in 2050. That's just not if, – if we're doing yeah. that, that means that we are headed for a planet that is not consistent with what we understand as civilization. And if it's about jobs, you already have provisions uh, in the, the, the bill um, for uh, just transition. You call it just transition, clean jobs training, uh, hubs, uh, scholarships, and other support. And as I said to you the other day, if unions are worried about jobs that are going to go away in 2035, that's that's uh, that's frustrating. I was going to say silly because that gives you 14 years to figure out what to do. If you can't figure out what to do uh, 14 years ahead of time, you probably got the wrong people uh, in uh, in your leadership. Um, so. Why is it they're not happy enough with the just transition issue? You know, that's that's a good question. I think just transition is is a tough thing for um, a lot of folks to wrap their head around. I think the idea – look, nobody wants to be the ones – having been a, a member of several unions myself, having worked for one, 
Like you don't want to be the ones to tell, you know, your members that they're going to lose their job, even if that's 24 years from now. So I get how that's a really hard conversation to have. Um, but, but, but burying our heads in the sand on climate change and continuing to kill one person every five days uh, is not an option. And think about the difficult conversations that we have to have because of, because of burning coal. Think about the difficult conversations people have to have with the members of their family who get asthma or have to go to the hospital or die. Think about the difficult conversations we have to have with our kids and our grandkids about why we have these heat waves in the summer, why the West is on fire, you know, why what their future might look like is completely up in the air. So somebody's gonna have to have a hard conversation and we all are having to do that and it takes leadership to step up and have those. And I'll say, having grown up in a town where there was a coal plant and I watched it close, uh, it is it is tough, right? We're not going to sugarcoat it. But this package has the most extensive and ambitious just transition provisions of any bill in the country uh, by far. So we are doing everything we can for an industry that already has one foot out the door. Coal production in Illinois uh, in, in for power has gone down by two thirds in the last 10 years alone. And that's not because of the big bad environmentalists. That's because they can't compete in the market anymore. So this is like folks that are saying, you know, well, what about people who make whips for horse buggies? Or what about people who make flip phones? It's like <laughs> things change. We get new and better technologies. And as a friend of mine said, we have a way to make energy now that doesn't kill people and doesn't cook the planet. And we need to take advantage of it. And the energy, the clean energy industry is, as Lisa was mm -hmm. saying, if we'll just let them. It's growing so quickly. Two of the top three fastest growing jobs in the country are in the clean energy industry uh, right now. There are 17,000 people already working in renewable energy in the state as of earlier this year. Uh, whereas there's a fraction of that in the fossil fuel industry. So let's look forward. Let's create these good, clean energy jobs and not look backwards to an industry that's, that's killing people and on its way out. Hey, just to let you know, flip phones are making a comeback. I'm just saying, okay? Uh, but Lisa, I'm sure you would argue, uh, along with JC, that uh, if you give us a chance, the solar industry can pick up that slack and provide good-paying jobs for those union people, right? Well, and it's not a matter of if you give us a chance, we had the chance. So in the industry, we have a joke uh, nationwide. We call it the solar coaster. Uh, solar, you know, like all industries, solar relies on solid, consistent, predictable policy. Uh, in Illinois, we have it, it's gone. We have it, it's gone. We have it, it's gone. And that's not at all what creates a solid job market. You know, we spent uh, a ton of time in the last few years educating and training installers to be able to do their jobs well, uh, only to lose, you know, a lot of them this year. Uh, and so you can't keep rebuilding. Uh, at some point, you do need to create some stability uh, so that we can continue to grow uh, and, and continue to deliver that. And absolutely, there is space at the table for everyone. Um, you know, making sure that some of these jobs are union jobs, 100%. We would, you know, this is a great opportunity in any local community to build a diverse network. Um, solar jobs are local jobs. They can't be outsourced. They're jobs for electricians, they're roofers, they're contractors, uh, carpenters. You know, so, uh, so many of the trades are touched by the solar industry. Um, and it's something that you know, a, a young person just coming out of school can move into the trades and, and develop a really strong career, whether it's through the unions or whether it's through, you know, local development or similar to myself, starting your own company, uh, you know, and going the entrepreneurial or policy, route. So or there's, 
tons or, or working into the policy sector. There's really no sector that is not touched. I mean, we need accountants, we need marketing people, we need salespeople. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why renewables is one of the fastest growing fields in the country. But if we do not have predictable uh, policies so that we know that we are businesses for more than a year at a time or two years at a time, those companies are going to go elsewhere. They're not going to stay here. And the young people who came into the industry who got burnt are going to be afraid and they're going to go away. So we've got to create stability. And that's what's lacking right now in Illinois. We can't keep going back uh, and asking to rewrite policy to fix gaps uh, we need to have something that's resilient that allows us to keep going. All right. We have just a couple of minutes and then I got to let JC go. But um, uh, a couple of things. One, it's not as easy as it seems. Just switch the union jobs from one to another. It also uh, there are considerations like the size of a contract and which contracts unions will take and which they will not take and let smaller outfits take and what are the wage prevailing wages going to be on those contracts. That's all wrapped up in, in this. Uh, but the point I want to make, uh, JC, is that the Clean Jobs Coalition uh, in the last week or so has pretty much drawn a line in the sand and said, we've compromised a lot. You've got to get this done now. And, and uh, you know, there, there are papers out there. I saw the Rockford papers said, just sign it. Just get the governor, you know, everybody suck it up and just sign it now so that the, the uh, solar industry doesn't collapse in Illinois. Uh, how do you feel about this uh, going into uh, the final days? What do you think is going to happen? I'm, let's say, cautiously optimistic about where we might be on the 31st. Um, I, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball, but we, we need to move. I, I agree with the sentiment that you expressed that it's time to quit messing around. We have to have good solar jobs in Illinois. Uh, as Lisa said, you know, that's a lot of economic opportunity. Everybody always talks about how we need more jobs here. Well, it's time to put up or shut up if we're serious about bringing good jobs to Illinois, because we need a climate where, where, uh, successful industries like solar uh, can thrive and we can't wait to act on climate change you know as long as we've been uh, messing around with this it's been a, a couple of years at this point and when you look at the fact that we need to cut our emissions in half by 2030 we we don't have a lot of time so we have to go now i hope it can be on tuesday uh and we need to move as quickly as we possibly can to do this <laughs> oh no the bell is tolling uh so it's, uh, that's that's ominous uh actually that is uh lisa albrecht's grandfather look at that clock ba- wait a second i'm gonna i'm gonna get the the uh, the tight shot here well, that's not her grandfather but that's a grandfather clock well it, her grandfather made the grandfather clock right uh, he yeah. built he built that. That is what is so cool about that. Mm-hmm. And the, and there it's a it's a lovely clock. Uh, I want one of those uh, too. Okay, so Let's see if we can. Do I that. have a real quick question. I know we're we're pretty much out of time, but we're talking about this end of the month deadline, and I don't think we actually explained to our listeners what that is. What's so key about the end of August, Lisa? Yeah, well, so legislators are supposed to be back uh, in Springfield this week. Uh, Rumor is that they'll be spending a great deal of their time talking about redistricting. Um, But frankly, we need to walk and uh, chew gum at the same time. Uh, They need to take up this bill. This bill has been languishing for far too long. It's over 900 pages, and we need to get it signed. We need to get it passed. We can work out the details later. In my opinion, let's make sure that we're not killing the solutions 
Um, we've got, you know, a long time to work out, you know, how to get some of these plants shut down and people need to come to the table and, and get this bill signed. Um, and we need to make sure that our lawmakers call for a vote and get this, get this moving forward this week. And, uh, JC, what would you advise people to do who want action in Springfield? Whoa. It's Mike's off. Oh, we lost him. I would advise you to call your legislators and let them know that you want a bill that gets us, that acts substantively on climate change, that gets us to 100% carbon-free energy. Uh, I'd say to call the governor, but if you're going to do that, mostly just do it to uh, thank him for the way that he has uh, stood firm on this issue so far. But we've got to get this done. And again, we've got to have real action on climate change, real 100% carbon-free power, uh, not gimmicks uh, and not uh, greenwashing. All right. Uh, J.C. Kibbe from the Natural Resources Defense Council. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to let you go. But Lisa Albrecht from Albright Solar and the Illinois Solar Energy Association is going to stick around with us as we bring in Dave Kraft from the Nuclear Energy Information Service, because this conversation is not over yet. There's still many moving parts, and we're going to get to all of them. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we'll be right back. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, as you can see, J.C. Kibbe is gone, and Dave Kraft is uh, in his place. You can see him on the lower right hand of your screen. If you're listening uh, in stereo, that would be on the right side of the uh, stereo speaker. And Dave uh, Kraft is the, uh, well, he's the, uh, the founder and director of the Nuclear Energy Information Service. Uh, Dave, welcome to the show. We appreciate it. It's good to see you again, Mike and Peggy and Lisa. It's always great to be on a show with you. It's been a long time. It, it has been. It's been too long. And uh, I'm a little, you heard us earlier talking a little bit about the nuclear aspect of this. I mean, there's enough problems trying to get the fossil fuel industry to come along. And, you know, we don't have time. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the IPCC uh, tells us uh, that it's a red alert. And uh, here we are dithering. Uh, in Springfield over fossil fuels, uh, but the nuclear uh, energy uh, plants are are part of this as well. And uh, as I uh, I put in um, my blog, and folks, you can go to read my blog. You can go to mikenovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, uh, and you sent out a press release uh, in basically in June after all of this, the, these talks uh, pretty much collapsed 
you said legislators should oppose Exelon's current $700 million, uh, $700 million nuclear ransom demand. You can't build an energy future by bailing out the past. What do you mean by that? Pretty much what it says, uh, to tell you the truth, Mike. Um, we have uh, endured 50 years of what we call the Michael Madigan reign of error, which uh, created what we dubbed the nuclear hostage crisis, where since around 2013, the Exxon Corporation would announce that their plants were economically distressed, we'd have to close them, all the jobs would be lost, the tax bases of the communities would go down the toilet, et cetera, et cetera. Then that, of course, would whip up the mayors and the workers and the, and the unions, as you heard a moment ago from my colleague, JC, um, into a frenzy, who would then put pressure on their legislators. And uh, Magic Mike and whoever was the governor at the time would sit down and cut a deal and, and give Exelon, as they did in 2016, $2.35 billion of your listeners' money um, just to keep plants open. Uh, our contention since 2013, though, is, wait a minute. You got the bailout thing wrong, Governor Rauner and now Governor Pritzker and anybody else. It's the communities and the workers whose jobs are threatened who really need the bailing out. They need, and I'm glad you brought up the term, just transitions, which we have been advocating since 2013 as well, as an antidote to the nuclear hostage crisis. Fast forward to the present. Uh, Exelon again was saying that their Dresden plant, their Byron plant were so-called economically distressed. Uh, this time, and I, I give him much credit for this, Governor Rauner hired a private independent auditor, which had never done business with Exelon, to say, all right, you want money? Open your books, because Rauner didn't do that last time. And sure enough, the um, Synapse company came out with a, an audit report in April saying that at best, Exelon should only get about $350 million over a five-year period, but that could even be lower if energy prices changed in favor of, of Exelon's nukes. So me, that Dave. was a ceiling. Dave, if Go I ahead. can interrupt real quick, was that Rauner who requested that or was that Pritzker who requested Pritzker, that? I'm sorry. Pritzker, uh, the current governor, requested this in April and the report came back with those results. Then, you know, when all of the uh, horse trading started going down in, in Springfield at the end of May and then two weeks into June, that number ballooned up into 700 million, 694 million, actually, over a five-year period. So we we have seen this not just in Illinois, but around the nation, where Exelon does this little dance of threatening closure, whipping up the frenzy of politics, and then getting bailed out at the state level. Now we're really even concerned, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, uh, at the federal level, that the, the amount of subsidies that they're talking are in the billions, tens of billions of dollars, to bail out these nuclear plants, which they claim are not uh, economically productive enough for them. Well, too bad. They, it, you know, they have a board of directors and a business model. If you can't make it in the market, which you, you know, fought so hard to create, then go into hotel motel management. But don't don't stick the ratepayers with another bailout. Uh, well, you know, that's that's the sixty four thousand dollar question. If they're so, if they're providing clean energy and i use that in air quotes uh, because, uh okay don't not it's even not, air quotes okay it is no it is not clean energy okay and why is it hard. not clean energy dave anything that produces uh, eighty thousand tons of high level radioactive waste and we have no place to put it is not clean 
every nuclear power plant is allowed by regulation to discharge emissions, and you hear, you know, they also use the term emissions-free, allowed to discharge radioactive emissions into the air and water on a regular basis. And they have to file an annual report telling people how much. And then finally, there's the carbon footprint of all energy resources. And nuclear has a pretty substantial one, especially in the uranium mining sector, where you have 10,000 unremediated uranium mines in the southern southwestern part of the United States. Now, if you're going to call nuclear clean, you have to call all of that clean as well. So we don't. They are low carbon, nothing more. Okay. Uh, so, whoops, I'm sorry. Uh, it looked like Lisa wanted to say something. I think she might have been Lisa, muted. are you, uh, you want to jump in? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant, um, uh, go ahead. I turned off your mic because I was hearing the grandfather oh. clock there. So, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to make a joke uh, that if I, if, if, as I tell third graders, if you can't touch it, it's not clean. That's I like that. There we go. I like that one too. I'm going to get a little ding for that. Um, <laughs> so, and this is all also playing against a backdrop of uh, a scandal involving Exelon and former Speaker of the Illinois House, Michael Madigan. Uh, Dave, how does that play into this? I'm glad you brought that up. I would have eventually anyway. But, um, <laughs> you probably this, would have. No, this is a, a piece of the nuclear hostage crisis as well. And what we have seen both in Illinois and around the country, and not just with Exelon, although Exelon is probably the welfare queen of the nation when it comes to the bailouts, we've seen it in Ohio with the tremendous scandal that took place there where the FBI came in and indictments have been flying and their speaker of the house also has not only been kicked out, but now he's indicted. But in South Carolina, there was a $10 billion scandal as well. You know, what we see is that bailouts are really, uh, they engender corruption. They keep that business model going of the nuclear hostage crisis. Uh, they get to grease the wheels of unscrupulous politicians. So we, we need to end it now. You know, it's one of those uh, cold turkey kind of situations where, you know, we've been in this hostage crisis so long. What is it, Stockholm Syndrome, where, where suddenly the, the yeah. victims are praising their persecutors? That's what's been going on in the energy sector as well. And Exelon is probably the best example of it. So the corruption that we see in Illinois, uh, there's maybe some more indictments coming down. We'll see how that one plays out. But it's tied into the whole notion of bailouts. Yeah, I, I like, though, the, uh, the cold turkey analogy because it, it doesn't only apply to nuclear energy, but right now to the fossil fuel energy and, and the industry, fossil fuel industries grabbing on with its, you know, bare knuckles and, and fingernails to hold on to what they have. And we have to let the world know that this is not acceptable. Uh, Lisa, uh, how does Exelon and ComEd play into your business? Obviously, you're, you produce electrical energy. Um, so there's some regulation involved with them. Is, is, is there uh, something that we should know about that? Well, so our regulation more is tied to ComEd, who owns the power lines, um, through interconnection agreements and things like that. So, uh, okay. technically, can I ask you just uh, explain the difference between Com uh, Exelon is the parent company, ComEd is the provider in in Illinois. One of you know, there's also well, Am Ameren. 
Yeah, yeah so there's, there's there's three public utilities. There's Mid America, there's Ameren, and and most people don't talk about Mid America. But uh, and then ComEd. So um, because of scandal in the past and and fingers in cookie jars inappropriately, ComEd and Exelon were separated uh, years ago. And um, uh, so ComEd manages the transmission side. So the wires, the transformers, the substations, that kind of thing, that's all under ComEd's. And that's where solar will intersect into the energy sector. The challenging part, you know, as Dave explained, um, you know, is that so solar as the new player to the market, um, we don't have as much clout uh, and literal power, uh, you know, to be as seen because we're the new guy on the block. We're the you know, the, the new player in the room. And so, um, you know, when it comes to these big energy bills, and it was true with the Future Energy Jobs Act that passed in 2016, uh, you know, and now, uh, you know, it, instead of passing legislation that addresses issue, one issue and one issue and one issue, now in America, it seems as though everything is uh, these big, huge omnibus bills. And so essentially the solar sector has been told, listen, you just have to ride along. And if nuclear is getting a bailout, so that's not even a fight that we're part of. Um, we, um, you know, we're part of the bill, but the nuclear piece and the nuclear piece nearly killed the Future Energy Jobs Act as well. But as Dave said, you know, that that sector has uh, been able to influence things for decades and have been able to get the subsidies that they need. So quite often we hear, you know, well, solar is too expensive. Uh, you know, they need to be able to uh, play on a level playing field. Well, we do. And, and the, nationally, the, the solar industry has said, you know, well, we need incentives to get a strong foothold. But then those incentives step down over time. And that's never been a part of any other energy sector in the United States. That, that subsidy um, is year in and year out. And it's tenfold what the solar industry gets. Um, and so if you want to talk about free market enterprise, great. Solar is going to win hands down. Right now, solar globally is the cheapest form of any new energy coming on board. So when people say solar is expensive, you know, our costs keep going down and down and down. And the deployment keeps getting, excuse me, better and better and better. And that's not happening in other energy sectors. So um, solar is hands down the, the long-term winner here. What about and wind? I want to add on to, yeah, okay. add on to a piece. Okay, go ahead, Dave. Um, <clears throat> earlier last week, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Representative Adam Kinsinger, who has eight nuclear reactors in his district, sent a letter to President Biden urging Biden to take emergency uh, administrative action to bail out the nuclear plants in Illinois because of their closure deadlines of September and November. Um, at the same time in Congress, the, the reconciliation bill that is coming up, the $3.5 billion one, Trillion. Uh, Three point uh, tr- trillion. Yes. Yeah, no, well, you know, hey, what's a, a billion here, a billion there? A billion here, a billion there, right? <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, the reconciliation package supposedly has $46 billion allocated to nuclear. And a lot of that money would go to bail out plants like Dresden and the ones that Exelon is complaining about. Now, Lisa can correct me if I'm wrong, but I did a back of the envelope calculation of what you can do with $46 trillion or billion dollars. I'm mixing them up. And it comes out uh, at the current cost of installation for a two megawatt wind turbine. $46 billion would get you 306,000 two megawatt wind turbines. That's about 200 gigawatts of power 
if you adjust for the intermittency of wind being around 30, 35%. And what that means is the nuclear industry, the entire nuclear industry of the country today only gives us about 100 gigawatts. There's 93 plants operating. $46 billion could give us twice the entire power output of the nuclear industry if it were allocated to the solar folk or to the, to the wind power folks. Now you can imagine adding solar into that, adding in geothermal. So these pigs in Washington, you know, are just sucking at the trough again and, and, and bailing out their cronies. And in, interestingly enough, the guy who was sponsoring this, Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland, just happens to have gotten $80,000 in campaign contributions from the IBEW and Exelon Corporation over the last five years. So this is what we have to stop. And we have no time left to do it, according to the IPCC. Yeah, and 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 actually, you led into what my next question was going to be: that wind. We hadn't talked much about wind in this, uh, but that's a really good uh, analysis there, Dave, of what you could do in terms of wind energy. What do you think, Lisa? Forty-six billion dollars would do for the solar industry. No, I was actually just pulling out my phone to do some calculations. Uh, uh, and I, I, I appreciate that math, uh, Dave. I'm going to definitely uh, uh, start digging in to see what that would mean, um, you know, because we are constantly being held to a standard that no other industry is being held to. You know, the, the tricky part of all of this is just the clock ticking. Um, and this is where Dave and I might um, might differ. So, as a, as a climate speaker, um, you know, uh, and an advocate within the solar industry, I do worry about decarbonation um, uh, and decarbonization and uh, the worry that uh, if we if we do allow these nuclear power plants to close, will they will they be replaced by solar and wind or will they be replaced by natural gas, which seems to be you know, very much on the agenda and, and another entity with their handout, uh, you know, looking for assistance to build their plants. Um, you know, again, once again, uh, free market only applies in when it's convenient for individuals, but um, in industries. So the, the tricky part right now, certainly as I see it, I don't, I absolutely do not advocate for building any new nuclear um, no one will insure it. It runs billions of dollars and decades long. So if, when you do that math, it doesn't make any sense. You can deploy solar incredibly quickly. Wind's a little bit slower because you have to do wind studies, but a lot of those studies have already been done. So we can deploy these things. Can we deploy them as fast as we need to? I don't know. So in my view, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is the last time, um, you know, that, that these types of things, um, you know, should be allowed to happen. Absolutely. And then by that time, hopefully wind and solar will have ramped up enough uh, to be that replacement fuel uh, as opposed to, you know, putting more carbon and more methane into the environment. So I love Dave's opinion as, as the expert on that, but um, you know, I do worry as a climate person of what will those fields be replaced with and absolutely, Dave is correct in terms of the investment. The, the dollars will go so much further uh, towards putting new stuff in the ground than in keeping ancient, ancient technologies uh, functioning. Yeah, um, and I think my response to that would simply be it, it's more of a matter of politics. Uh, we have been advocating since 2007 for a carbon-free, nuclear-free energy program. And I'm glad the environmental community finally has caught up with us. But... Uh, 
Yeah, uh, what you're going to see, it's going to be disparate around the country. I mean, our local problem is a lot different because we've got 11 operating reactors in Illinois. Other states don't have that problem. But again, that's where the legislation comes in. If you write the legislation with timelines, implementation, uh, you know, schedules, um, yes, there may be some initial problems. And in terms of keeping the lights on, that's not an issue. Uh, We've been told that there's plenty of power in the Midwest. It, it could be transmitted around to get us through the immediate period. You're right, it's the build-out time. And we know that wind farms can go up in two to three years. I'm not sure what the timeline is on, on uh, industrial or, or commercial-sized uh, solar facilities. But uh, there, too, it's a lot quicker uh, to put those up than it is even to build gas plants. So. It, it, again, it's the political will piece that, that my colleague JC was very polite and circumspect about, and I really appreciate him for all he's done these last three years. He has to be polite because he's in the trenches with these guys. We don't. And as far as we're concerned, if these guys don't get it together on, on next Tuesday and at the very least do the uh, the bailout, excuse me, not the bailout, that's excellent thing do the, uh, the funding changes that are needed for the solar industry, for the renewable energy, uh, energy industry, uh, that is climate crime. They are climate criminals at this point. Um, and we have to call it out for what it is. We, we can't be polite anymore. We have eight years and four months left before the IPC, IPCC deadline. And even this uh, legislation, as good as it is, are pushing deadlines out to 2035, 2040, 2045. You know, <laughs> There's an old joke about the retired tra trapeze artist, uh, Raul Wisbinski, you know, who kept shaking his head and saying, but it was only a half an inch. Um, and that's where we are with climate, too. You know, it, it, it's not going to matter if we make the deadline in 2045 because we're going to be toast. So we've got to do what's necessary now. Those folks have to stop doing politics and start doing governance and put on the big boy pants and make the hard choices that we elected them to do. And I'm reminded, you know, of the Bob Dylan song, um, you know, we, I heard it recently um, where the line goes, uh, please get out of the way if you can't lend a hand. You know, the times are changing. Yeah. That's it. Lisa, did you want to uh, jump in there? Yeah, just as a closing comment on my side is, you know, so I would say that, you know, solar have definitely been held hostage throughout this entire process. Uh, and we can no longer afford the time to, to, to hold back one of the biggest, fastest growing solutions that are out there. Everyone says, what is a solution? Solar and wind. And right now, because of the state of politics in Illinois, solar is held completely hostage to everybody else's agenda. So if they can't get an agreement for everything else, pull the solar piece out, get solar back on its feet. You know, we had 313 systems installed this year compared to almost 3,000 last year. So 300, we're down 90%. We have to stop holding um, solar hostage uh, and get it moving and back on track and let everybody else have their fight uh, and get their solutions in place. But solar can no longer be the price that we pay for everything else. Uh, and I want to add one thing here. Uh, we were talking about natural gas, and a lot of people have always thought of natural gas as the bridge to clean energy. Well, there was a study done just this year, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, at, uh, and uh, they their study uh, finds that burning natural gas, biomass, and wood 
ha- now have more negative health impacts than burning coal in many states and is a trend that may continue. Uh, our findings show that while there are public health benefits from reducing coal emissions, gas, biomass, and wood are not clean or healthy alternative energy sources. Swapping one polluting fuel source for another is not a pathway to a healthy energy system. Wind, solar, and other non-fuel combusting renewable energy are the healthiest energy sources available for generating electricity, powering our factories, and heating our homes. And again, that's from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. So this idea that uh, natural gas is going to be clean uh, it's like it's. Remember uh, how five, ten years ago, folks were trying to push clean coal, um, and I just and and my mantra was: there's no such thing as clean coal. There's no such thing as clean coal. It 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 doesn't exist. You know, and Mike, and, in, the, Mike in the federal legislation, there are sizable carve outs for carbon capture and storage and, and clean coal and stuff like that. So. I hate well, to say it; it's not over. There always is, and, no. and the greenwashing starts with just the label. Let's stop calling it natural gas. Call it methane, burning methane, because it's primarily methane. Yeah, and I and I believe in 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 proper labeling to uh, enable people to burning make, fracked fuels. Uh, another way of looking at it, yeah, natural gas sounds well. It's like buying natural cereal or something. People think that this is going to be uh, healthy for you. Um, well, you're eating it natural. That's what they keep telling us, but we remind them so is arsenic. And, and we have less than a minute, but Dave, uh, one of the key issues of uh, nuclear energy is the nuclear waste. Nobody wants it in their backyard. We can't even find a way to ship it. It's going to be with us for tens of thousands of years. We haven't even come close to solving that problem in 60 or 70 years, have we? No, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's all sitting where it was generated at the 63 reactor sites and then the other site near Morris, Illinois. The environmental community has put together what we thought was a pretty sound interim plan called hardened on-site storage, which both the nuclear industry and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission reject because they claim it's too expensive. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but you made the waste. You got to deal with it in a responsible way. And we don't think shipping it off to tribal Indian lands or people in West Texas or Southeast New Mexico, like they're proposing now, is environmentally just or environmentally sound. All right. Yeah, I know. I know. We absolutely could. And I think we probably should do that. Listen, uh, Lisa Albrecht from Albright Solar and the Illinois Illinois, uh, Solar Energy Association, Dave Kraft from the Nuclear Energy Information Service. Uh, Thank you so much for for being part of this very, very important discussion. Uh, Let's see what happens in Springfield next week. Let's hope that uh, the, the players... Get their acts together, and we end up with uh, clean energy in Illinois, and uh, we'll talk to you both very, very soon. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for covering this, Mike and Peggy. Uh, Our pleasure. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got more when we return. Environmental stewardship. It's got a ring to it. I mean... It sounds important, and it is. You know, for over 100 years, Bartlett Tree Experts has been committed to maintaining a healthy environment and still providing you with the landscape that you had always hoped for. But creating a sustainable landscape with a natural-based approach, it takes time, 
and oversight. And it starts at the beginning, choosing the right plant and knowing how to care for it. You ever hear the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? Well, that applies to your landscape as well. We can help you choose trees or shrubs that are naturally more resistant to certain pests and diseases. So, plain and simple, fewer pests, fewer diseases, less treatments needed. But environmental stewardship doesn't stop here. Once your landscape's in place, we need to keep it healthy and thriving. So what can you do? Applying a layer of organic mulch around your trees will help to improve the root environment. Providing irrigation based on the species of the tree and the amount of rainfall that you've had can help alleviate stress from dry weather and high temperatures. What can we do? Soil care. Soil care is the most important preventative measure in maintaining tree health, which is why we offer Boost Natural Fertilizer, a fertilizer totally derived from organic sources that is listed by the Organic Materials Review Institute, or OMRI for short. Another organic soil amendment we provide is Premium Landscape Biochar. This unique carbon-rich charcoal can improve your soil's ability to retain nutrients and water, stimulating growth and making your plants less susceptible to insects and disease. But even with the best laid plans, problems can still arise. And especially when using a natural approach to tree care, issues must be identified early in order for the treatments to really work. That's why regular visits with a skilled arborist are so important. Whether we're applying organic or reduced risk products, or releasing beneficial insect predators like the lady beetle. Timing is key. So as you can see, Bartlett Tree Experts has always been in the forefront of providing sustainable techniques. So if you're committed to environmental stewardship, let us provide you with organic and environmentally responsible methods that really work. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. What? Welcome back. Hey! No, not quack. Welcome back. And we're back. Oh. We're back. We're back. There we go. Wow. That was uh, that was good. That was good to have those folks on the show with us. Uh, it's an issue I've been meaning to talk about the whole summer, and it all just sort of came together in the in this past week. So, um, uh, my thanks to uh, Lisa Albrecht and J.C. Kibbe and Dave Kraft for a very intelligent and uh, very thoughtful uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. About Very quick conversation. Oh my goodness! Uh, well, you know they've been they're in communication and conferences and discussions, and they've been going strong for years now. And to talk about it all in about fifty minutes yeah. is um, 
is tricky um, because tricky. I mean I, I put this list together as I was doing this of I just started listing all the the things that have to do with it and I, and mm-hmm. it was uh, it starts with the Clean Jobs Coalition which is promoting the Clean Energy Jobs Act the Climate Jobs Illinois that's the union organization we didn't even get to the path of for, for, uh, to one hundred which was what the yeah. the uh, solar industry wanted uh, the consumer. Consumers and Climate First Act, which was the governor's proposal, but then they've all sort of been consolidated. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And then, as we said, the scandal involving Michael Madigan, uh, phasing out coal fire plants by 2035, phasing out gas fire plants by 2045, the the study from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health that I just read, the loss of more than $300 million in funding for renewable energy programs, Tanking of the solar industry, the six hundred million dollar, actually seven hundred million dollar nuclear bailout, uh, and on, and I mean, I just started listing these things that were parts of this conversation. I went, "Whoa, yeah. okay, that's going to be interesting to try to." And, and one of the things we didn't touch on, and I lost the article when I had a reboot, I had it up and I lost it, um, was one of the things with the end of August deadline that that's when the power companies have to give back that renewable energy subsidy. That's what you were trying to get out of Lisa, and I don't think she understood quite what you were trying to say there. Uh, but, uh, oh, well, uh, we still Which got... many, a- many millions of dollars that um, has been part of the rates, electric rates, and because it hasn't been used, it needs to be refunded at the end of August. Yeah, so uh, that was uh, uh, pretty uh, amazing stuff. So uh, we have a few things we want to talk about before we get... And then in the next break, I'm going to be going online and trying to download the latest images of yeah. uh, the hurricane. I haven't seen anything new in my email yet, so. Uh, and and I, I, don't think I, I, yeah. I don't think I have uh, either. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, one of our listeners, viewers, slash viewers said uh, it's still a Category 4. I swear I heard Category 5 on CNN this morning, so maybe they were just jumping the gun um, uh, a little bit. And predicting what might happen, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to 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 Rick about that because I've got some interesting yeah, Rick's things. In, Rick's in his own Weather Central right now, so I'm uh, sure he's got a yeah. Big at, at about at about uh, <laughs> ten uh, twenty nine, he will send us a, an email with with seventeen links in it. Say, can you get those pop pop those up for me? Um, it's a good thing. It, it's a good thing he doesn't watch us before he comes on the air. Um, all right, uh, just a, a few things uh, in the news this week. I want to start with... Actually, can, can we do our um, the promo that we need to do? So we we do a couple it. of promos. Okay, you, go. You start. Which one do you want so, to start? Um, hopefully everybody's been seeing for the last couple of weeks the annual Green Team Summit with Faith in Place, and we are a proud sponsor of that, by the way. Yeah, and I want to let folks know, yeah, you can go to Faith... Well, you can actually go to greenteamsummit.org. And register uh, for it. And, um, and it's free. It's, it's free. And there are uh, the sessions um, begin the September 12th. It's through the 14th. Uh, and on the 12th, we will be talking Online, to... Online, by the way. Uh, yes. Oh, that's true. That's a really good point. Um, and uh, um, uh, the uh, keynote is... Uh, uh, on the twelfth uh, at five p.m., which is actually great timing, uh, because that morning on the twelfth we're going to have the Reverend Brian Souter from Faith in Place uh, to talk about the event, uh, and we hope folks uh, uh, join 
Um, uh, they're going to start with uh, the keynote is healing from an eco-womanist perspective. Um, and uh, Monday is healing with land and water, healing with youth. Uh, Tuesday, the final day, racial healing, healing with food and healing practices. Um, just and the theme is rooted in healing this year. Right. So the idea is how do we, boy, you know, you can talk about COVID, you can talk about mm -hmm. climate change. How do we heal all? Yeah. Uh, how do we talk about war and getting yeah. out of wars? How do we heal? Um, Some of the presenters and healers, um, Chef, and I apologize on the name, uh, Sadakia Ben-Emmanuel, owner of Chicago's black-owned vegan soul food restaurant, Majani. Um, Ratasha Elise, founder and director of the healing justice organization Chocolate Soul Revival. Tracy Barkley, director at Sola Gratia Farms. Chetna Mehta, artist and founder of Mosaic Eye LLC. Andrea Blanton, founder of Food Earth Birth. Veronica Kyle, statewide outreach director of Faith in Place, and so many more speakers. I mean, they've got just lots of topics for everyone. So um, get on board. It's free, as as we said. It's online. You don't have to go anywhere. I'm. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, Peggy. I'm hunkered down. I'm still hunkered down. You know. I said the hair. The hair was going to stay until the pandemic's over. Well, the pandemic's not over. All right. And it, let's um, let's see the ponytail length now. We haven't. I don't all think right. listeners there we go. for a while. It's there's a little bit, and there. I mean, there I, can, I, I can I do the whole catching the, up with mine too. Uh, so. Yeah, I am. I am absolutely. Uh, so I'll uh, I'll get the cut when uh, and maybe we'll do a fundraiser. Think, folks, that would be a good idea. Who wants to <laughs> Who wants to cut my hair? Uh, or we'll get somebody, and then for each lock, we uh, <laughs> we we donate to a, a good cause. Uh, yeah, no, no, no uh, um, buzz cuts. No, not happening. Not ever. No, I did it once for a show for a play I was wow. in, and I, I looked. Picture you I looked like. Um, a rogue teacup, okay, a tea, a sugar bowl, all right, not teacup, but sugar bowl, <laughs> a sugar bowl oh, that dear. You, you don't even want to know what that looks like. It's just, it's no, terrifying. No. Moving, moving right along to moving what's up. happening, what's back again this November? Um, yes, the Green Living Expo, McKenna yeah, County College. You saw that, and you'll see another. Uh, take a look at it. Um, um, and uh, they're going to be doing it uh, partly indoors, partly outdoors, so you get your choice uh -huh. if, if you come by. Um, it is in a huge gymnasium there. So, and a big parking lot space outside, too. Yeah, uh, but uh, take a look at the uh, McHenry County College uh, Green Living Expo uh, spot that we run in yeah. the next break. Uh, and you'll see what we're talking about. Um, Peggy and I love going there. I'm hoping that uh, the COVID numbers are coming down uh, by then. That would be a really, really good thing. But that it's yeah. it's in November, so there's and time, free. and it's free. It's free, and it's, uh, uh, and they're, right now actually they are looking for vendors and participants. So um, if you've got a green business and you'd like to be involved, uh, more info at mchenry.edu/greenexpo. Uh, so uh, our thanks to uh, those people we love uh, partnering with them. Um, okay, now um, you know I'm. Uh, what I'm really tempted to do is 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 just pop up this. Yeah. 
So what did you learn this week? See, I, I, I'm not going to do this to you because uh, I didn't. No, I knew you were going to pop that up. Did you really? And you know why I do it? Because our viewer, Skeet, loves it when uh, uh, I, I pop that up and put you on the spot. <laughs> he just he just thinks that's the most entertaining thing in the whole world. Oh, so, so, um, I learned a lot this week. Uh, you know what? One of the things I learned about is the Palos Preserves. Uh-huh. in southwest cook county and so cool. i hope our friend uh audrey fisher uh and greg fisher and they are watching this morning by the way they are good um because i didn't see any comments uh when i posted this and and one of the things that really pleases me i posted this on uh on Facebook. resistance is futile um and uh uh we got a ton of responses to this and i'm so glad people are paying attention um the uh, the Palos Preserves um, is has just been certified dark. They've been designated as an urban night sky place by the International Dark Sky Association. And only one of three globally with that. Isn't that amazing? And it, it was a. Uh, uh, it's the define the urban night sky place is a property that promotes an authentic nighttime experience in the midst of significant artificial light. And as you mentioned, there's only two uh, in the world. One is in Utah, the other is in New Mexico. And uh, and if the forest preserves of Cook County, give them a ding as well. The uh, partnered with the Adler Planetarium on a plan for light reduction at the preserves, buildings, and parking lots. Teens, this is way cool, teens participating in the Adler's Far Horizons Stratonauts program also helped measure and document the light levels in Palos Preserves, as well as the broader region, by making use of satellite imagery and data provided by the International Space Station. Here's the cool part. Their findings showed that Palos Preserves emits nearly 1,000 times less light than downtown Chicago, with four times as many stars visible in the night sky than can be seen in the city. Who knew? I mean, that's... uh, And and they've got... uh, One of the great things about the article... I'm looking for that link somewhere. um, It was uh, Patty Wetley in uh, Block Club... uh, I'm sorry, WTTW... Yeah, I, I watched it, but as I mentioned to you, when I got the link, um, it was so deeply buried in my email. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I should have changed the subject line. It's one of the, I didn't change the subject line, so. Uh, but, uh, but I sent it again this morning, so yeah. uh, that's what you... Well, you, that's you, okay. It's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, here we are. It's so, called... And, and I hate to turn it... Our well, searching friend. What? Oh, I just use Google. Whatever, um, and uh, I found out that, that they have uh, overnight outing, uh, uh, overnight yeah. camping at Camp Bullfrog Lake, which is the only way you can see it because it's closed at sunset at night. So you would have um, to be camping. I think Kathleen and I are going to go. I think we're going to go in September and just uh, uh, see some stars in the Chicago area. I mean, how how, how cool is that? So. Um, Anyway, what? Okay. <laughs> your hair. Okay, never mind. Uh, and Skeet there's thanked a, us. There's a whole thing going on about your hair. Oh, is there? So, is it like too much out of control? Should I just like, 
Oh, wow. We've got people suggesting it's renaming the hurricane as opposed to Ida after oh. Exelon. Yeah. Oh, Coke my Brothers. God. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a whole, well, there's a whole conversation going on back there. Okay. Here's another story. Uh, let me call this. Uh, uh, did you, by the way, want to tell us what uh, you learned this week? Um, let's see. It has to do a couple things with basil. I mean, it's not, nothing particularly exciting. He used to like, um, he was kind of fascinated by cicadas when he was a younger dog. Ah, you not know, anymore? So you have all the cicadas on the trees and every so often one of the cicadas just kind of falls out of sync and you get this going around you and it lands yeah. on the street. Yeah. And he used to be fascinated sticking his nose up there and trying to watch this thing. Nah, not anymore. Totally bored. Like, so you, so you've, learned, you, you've learned your dog has become apathetic. Two cicadas, yes. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I learned this week. We learned about stars and palos, and we learned about uh, Basil becoming apathetic to cicadas. Cicadas. All right, here's something else I learned this week. There was a study, uh, in, and, and I found out about this from my friends uh, in the Frozen Robins. You know, is, my, is, my, is this the, uh, the food story? The food story. Uh, the Xmas caroling group, my friends, and they told me, did you see the story? And I said, no. So, of course, when I got home, I had to, to look it up. Uh, a study published this month in the journal Nature Food. Um, in that study, researchers looked at 5,853 foods in the U.S. diet and measured their effects in minutes of healthy life gained <laughs> or lost. Um, and the study showed that well, one of the foods researchers measured was a standard beef hot dog on a bun. It's 61 grams of processed meat resulted in the loss of 27 minutes of healthy life. But when ingredients like sodium and trans fatty acids were factored in, the final value was 36 minutes of lost life. That's good. Well, it's just one hot dog. How big can it be? I mean, so they were, you know, of course, everybody wanted to yeah, but know it's a hot dog. what the hot, hot dog eating contest people, how they, they they should drop dead next week, basically. Um, I, I had not heard this, and I don't know. And, of course, they say consumption of foods uh, such as nuts, legumes, seafood, fruits, and non-starchy vegetables, on the other hand, have a positive effect on health. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately that cheese was on the not so healthy effect. And that just makes me really sad. I mean, I can't remember the last time I had a dog, a hot dog. I I have probably two a year, maybe. I know you don't, that's two, two men. Yeah. You know, it's only an hour of my life. So, uh, so. But that hour could be spent in V-Mix. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'd rather have the hot dog. I'll tell you. (laughs) Just give me the hot dog and just give me a give give me a plate of hot dogs rather than deal with this stuff here, okay? Any so uh um there was a, I wonder if they've got the list here. Um 
I well, tried I... to look at that study, but it was I was like looking for the list. But as as it said, the point is to choose better foods, not to spend time doing the math. But and by the way, it was from uh, my alma mater, the University of Michigan. So uh, I don't know. Well, let's a... see. Ernest out in Portland said he learned how to control mealybugs in his houseplants this week. And how was that, Ernest? Wait a second. Ernest, learn something. I waited until you finished drinking the coffee. See, I was watching you. you. I was watching you. I on did the, that quick. There, there, there was Peggy. <laughs> she just seen her. She was like, mm. oh, and then she put the coffee down. I was timing it. Okay. I, uh, kind of. I could have caught, I should have just caught you there. Uh, so, oh, that's okay. So, um, Ernest, you can tell, uh, well, I know how Ernest learned how to control mealybugs. I sent him some information, all right, because he asked me. So He removed them from his house. And basically, um, uh, Bruce uh, says suicide by a hot dog, you know? But what a way to go. Better make it, uh, better have a beer with that as well. A beer and a dog. Uh, and Ernest says, uh, and he's right, rubbing alcohol and Q-tips are a good start. You know, uh, found a great uh, article at Cornell uh, about treating mealybugs on your house plants, and basically they were all for the physical treatment. Just go in there, um, Q-tips, do it manually, get a little rubbing alcohol, just scrape them out of there. Um, because they're big enough to see, it's not like some of the insects that are, or, or like scale that is, there are gazillions of them on your plant. Um, and by the way, you know, my plants have been out all summer and now the scale is under control. And that's the other way to get rid of scale in your plants, put them outside for the summer and all the insects buzzing around and climbing around and crawling around outdoors, especially you have them away from the porch, like I do some of them. Uh, they'll take care of the scale. Now, it doesn't kill all the scale, so what happens is you bring them in, and by the end of the winter, they're they're all scaled up again, and they're, drip, they're dripping honeydew, and you got to – well, then you just take them back outside again. So, Except um, not in the wintertime. Although – oh, wait, something else I learned this week. Uh, well, was last week, actually, from, uh, uh, and I don't think we discussed it on the show, but when we had Marianne Wilburn uh, to talk about her book, and, and, and of course, every time we mention the book, you have, we have to, this is, it's in her contract, I have to show Tropical mm-hmm. Plants and How to Love Them. And How to Love Them. Just like when we talk uh, to... Uh, to Tomatoes, uh, to Craig. Craig, you got to show Epic like tomatoes. tomatoes. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, it's, it's because I never, Tell put, us, what did you learn, Michael? It's because I never put any books away. So here's, here's this one too. Okay. They all just sit here. Yeah. That one's in my kitchen right now. Steph. Yeah, I know. No, but what I learned, uh, a really good tip because I like to take my plants out to the yard for the summer. And generally, you know, I look at the weather forecast and the day before it's going to be 25 degrees outside, mm-hmm. I bring them in. Don't and, tell that to Marianne. No, Marianne said, no, get them in early. You know, you know it's going to get cold. So they'll, they won't drop as many leaves if you, they'll you know. transition you, in. 
yes. the transition, the ease them into getting inside while there's still some light coming in your windows indoors, <laughs> you dummy. You. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring, like my uh, Ming Aurelia, which I tried to kill this year, did not quite succeed in killing it. Uh, but I'm bringing that in early. I'm going to do, do you that. you still have the little Aurelia cuttings, by the way? I do. I, I have at least two or three that um, I, I'm really good at. Uh, actually, the first time, to, this year was the first time I had a cutting fail on me for the Ming Aurelia. It just mm. didn't make it. But that's okay. I've got three others. Uh, and they all four others, and they all look great. I, Kathleen's got one of them upstairs, um, which is really spectacular, and um, it seems really easy to propagate. And I don't don't even use the uh, what's the uh, um, rooting, hormone? Rooting, rooting hormone. Thank you. Um, I just slam them into soil, wet soil, and they seem to take. I did that with uh, Diffenbachia this year. Mm-hmm. I've got a beautiful little Diffenbachia. In fact, I had it up here last year. I didn't bring any plants. I got no plants behind me this year or this week. So, um, and some, you know, I, I'm a lazy guy, I'm a lazy gardener. And, um, if I've got a plant and all I need is potting soil, I just go, maybe I should do it here and, and pop it into soil and keep it watered and hope it makes it. Oh, that sounds well. like a column for garden rent. I believe it is. Well, I don't know if it's a garden rant because a lot of people do that too. Uh, before we go though, uh, really quickly, a follow up to the story we did uh, was it last week? Yeah. The, about the Amazon lockers, um, and having, and by the way, it's just, a, it continues to be a big deal. And, um, uh, Juanita Irizarry was on Ben Jarofsky's show. Uh, and Ben, you, you may thank me for, uh, setting that up for you. Uh, actually I, I told him what I had done. And then two days later, Hey, she's on his show. Go figure. Um, Oh and- yeah. And speaking, speaking of that, before we, we break, we do have to Give a little plug for Lumpen Radio, too, but go ahead. Well, we'll do that. that. Um, Amazon Lockers will net park $137,600. I can't even say dollar things today. I've gotten them all wrong. I think every single time I've mentioned (laughs) amounts. Um, So it turns out uh, that the Park District is making, uh, this came out like the day after we had her on the show, uh, that... um, they're really the park district is not getting a good deal uh, out of this because the park district's budget this year is four hundred and eighty-one million dollars, actually four hundred and eighty-two, and they're getting the pittance from Amazon. But as I said in uh, when I posted this on, because this is you know Block Club, good on them, Block Club Chicago following up on this story, so they find out that. Park District is basically getting zippy doodah for the Amazon boxes. Here's the the park that if if I can find this, okay, where is it? Because um, I said they um, they buried the lead on their story, and I think it's in this one. I've no, got this, a couple. this story also says installations have been paused. Yeah, uh, but there are some that are still out there. Yeah, but here we go. Block Club earlier this week. Uh, obtain the park district's contract with Amazon through public records request, which shows the city agency will make $89,900 to $137,600 in the first full year. That's it. Out of a, what, a $482 million budget, okay? So basically they're giving it away to Amazon. What an insult. 
on top of putting it in our public parks, which, which is an insult. I'm and then you're not, you know, and I compared it to the Richie Daly parking meter deal, and a lot of people agreed with me. It sure sounds like it to me. Bad deal. Nice. Hey, nice negotiating there, Chicago and, Park District. And there was that extra little tidbit in something I think it came out from Friends of the Parks that says um, the Park District can't comment about it, and Amazon can. That, that was going to be my point right now. Under the contract. Neither the Park District nor Amazon can issue news releases or do any publicity relating to the other party. The Park District is also required to notify Amazon of any Freedom of Information Act requests relating to the partnership, and Amazon has the right to request an exemption or redaction based on proper assertions of confidentiality or proprietary information, according to the contract. Wow. Wow. Why don't you just hand them the keys? Just give them the keys and say, do whatever you want. Take, hey, take the Maserati for a little spin. You're not going to have, there's not going to be an issue. You're not going to crash it or anything. So there we go. All right. Give a, the, that's, I wanted to follow up on that because Park District's still behaving badly. We'll see what happens. We'll, fo- we'll keep following this. Peggy, you were going to say before we break for Rick DeMaio. That uh, continuing what we announced a couple weeks ago, the Mike Novak Show is on Lumpen Radio in Chicago, which is 105.5 FM. That's right. I was listening to the show this morning at 8 a.m. So uh, it's, 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 it's like our best of. Uh, yeah. you, you'll hear thing, things we've discussed. The, the, the show today is definitely going to be on Lumpen in a few weeks. So, uh, um, But if uh, you like Lumpen Radio and it's a great community radio station, you can actually catch the signal in Chicago or you can go online. Uh, you, they, they have an app uh, or you can go to TuneIn or any of the other apps. You can catch our show on Lumpen Radio 8 a.m. Sundays. And one other announcement before we break. Peggy and I are taking a week off next week. So we're going to give you a half hour to get used to that. But we'll say it again before we leave because I need a day off. I don't know about the rest of you. If Rachel Maddow can get two weeks in a row off, I can take a day. All right. That's all. And, and she's making a lot more Boku bucks than I am here. So, all right. Rick DeMaio, we're going to talk hurricanes next. I got to load up the latest uh, graphics. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of minutes. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, let's make sure that your mic is on. Rick DeMaio, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Mike and Peggy. Just to let you know, I'm <clears throat> setting you a whole suite of new graphics. Um, <laughs> oh, great. At 1017, yep. 
Okay. Yeah, because they have to, because hurricanes, when they're approaching the coast, need the latest information. Yep. Uh, so I, I did my best to get everything up to date uh, so you can rely on the stuff I sent you last night or this morning or the stuff, as Peg mentioned, at 1017. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got the latest and the greatest there in front of you. Which, okay, well, which one should I post in, in the link here? The first one? What do you mean? That you're going to send me? No, no. That I'll just put up on Restream? Um, Should I just do the first one here? Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever you put up, I can talk about. Oh no, uh, I'm just putting this link in restream. Mike, do you need these? It's if, in your email. If yeah, no, he's got them listed there. So what I'm going to do is I've got a. You'll you'll love this, Rick. During this commercial break, one of the reasons it was so long is I knew that uh, I was going to try to update. So I was just able to go to um, the. Uh, the the co uh, the COD next lab uh, and get the latest image and that is here. Let's see what we've got. Yeah, it's got to, it's got to run through the dark images first, right? And yeah. that is uh, one scary looking storm. So yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. This is Hurricane Ida, uh, category as I like to say four point seven five because it's just below a category five. Okay. Um, and it was great to hear one of the meteorologists on the Weather Channel um, talk about how maybe we should think about renaming the categories of hurricanes similar to what we do with earthquakes. You know, we have earthquakes of 7.0, 7.5, 8.0. And I've been talking about this for years, is that if you make it in a 4, okay, it's not a 5, but it's literally 5 miles per hour less than a 5. So. I think the fact that you can tell people that this is a 4.75 will give people maybe a little bit more um, awareness. But all you got to do is look at the storm, like you just said, Mike, and realize that the last couple of frames, um, this eye is intense. Uh, This eye seems to be um, leveling off from a standpoint of how intense it got. So it literally reached, I think, maximum intensity about an hour and a half ago. And the recent... Uh, reconnaissance that went in there about 8.30 uh, Central Time, 9.30 Eastern Time. And then by the time they looked at the data, calibrated the instruments, made sure that everything was correct, they just sent out the uh, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time or uh, East uh, Central Daylight Time Advisory or 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern Daylight Advisory and uh, basically have determined that the storm has leveled off in uh, intensifying. And you can clearly see that with the satellite as well. What's really important to note though, when storms get this far north in the Gulf of Mexico, the angle that the satellite is looking at it is literally coming in from almost 30 degrees. So it's not like directly over the top. So you have to do a little bit of of kind of changing around with the imagery somewhat. You're not literally looking at it down, you're looking at it from the side somewhat. So if we had a satellite literally right over the top of this, it would actually uh, look worse. Okay, and and I'm, I, f- I found your email here, and I'm downloading uh, even as we speak. So we'll Did have this storm uh, the- just form super quickly. Yeah, I mean, four about four or five days ago, Peg, it looked like uh, there was definitely a tropical wave forming in mm-hmm. the Southeast Caribbean. Uh, if you remember last week, Mike, I said that the models are not showing anything um, on the horizon, but there's the infrared satellite. And what's really important to note about the infrared satellite 
is the more that you see uh, the darker shades of black circumnavigate the eye, that means literally the storm is growing in intensity. And as it does so, the cloud tops get colder, they get taller, the pressure gets lower, and the wind literally flows in at a much faster speed. So continuing on what Peg was saying about how the storm has intensified so rapidly, um, yesterday it was a Category 1. All the numerical models and all of the observational data showed that it was clearly going to get to a Category 4. I mean, we knew that because there was nothing in its path that was going to keep it from developing. But more importantly, it's moving across what's called the loop current. And the loop current is a current of water in the north-central part of the Gulf uh, that generally kind of flows around and around. It doesn't get mixed up with the Atlantic Ocean. So that part of the Gulf of Mexico is typically the warmest part of the Gulf, oddly enough. And in fact, temperatures were almost as warm as we've ever seen it from a standpoint of not only the surface, but also the heat content, meaning the depth. So, Peg, you're going to find this um, highly relevant. Uh, yesterday, I went swimming in Lake Michigan, and because we had a southwest wind, what did mm -hmm. the water temperature do? Would have gone down, or in theory. Yeah, it went, it, it went down. Oh, it, it went down observationally as well because I was in it. But yeah. what's interesting is because we haven't had that long of a period of warm weather this summer, the northern, or I should say the upper part of Lake Michigan is really warm. But if you go down about maybe 15 to 20 feet, it cools off quite a bit. Yeah, if the upwelling hasn't occurred too much yet. Yeah. Right, right. The upwelling will make a shallow layer of warm water get pulled offshore and pull that cooler water up. The area where Ida formed over, the water was so deep that when the storm began to move across that area and upwell the water, it had no impact on the amount of heat that was available to the storm. Wow. Now, if we rewind this 16 years ago with Hurricane Katrina, Katrina formed on the southern edge of the loop current, became incredibly strong, but also incredibly large. When storms get really large in the southern Gulf, as they move north, the amount of wind and the vastness of the wind field actually upwells the water so the storms can really never maintain Category 5 in the Gulf of Mexico more than one day and sometimes more than 24 hours. It's really rare, which is why Hurricane Rita, Hurricane Wilma, Hurricane Ike, Hurricane Katrina, when they became Category 5, we knew that by the second day they were going to weaken. And that's what happened with Katrina. Hurricane Ida and Hurricane Michael both formed at their maximum intensity in the northern part of the Gulf. So they used up all the heat content and didn't have enough time to upwell. And that's one of the reasons why they're making landfall like Mike did or like Michael did um, and also like Hurricane Camille did as a Category 5. And now you can see with Hurricane Ida as literally a 4.75. And you'll be happy to know that I just got your images that you just sent. And by the way, the, the loops you saw those were done 10 minutes ago. I got those off yeah. of the COD. So that's from 10 minutes, but this is an image you just uh, sent me as well, and that's the end of the right. COD image. And this is what it, Yeah. Right. So, so this is more of a localized image. So what they do is they'll take the satellite uh, that's basically from, you know, the satellite is 22,000 miles above the surface of the Earth. So it's amazing that we can see that well. And what they do is they kind of change the image a little bit so you can look down on it. And mm -hmm. you can actually see all the way down – 
to the surface of the Gulf of Mexico a little bit. There's a little bit of cloudiness on there. Uh, but the visible satellite looks fantastic. Visible satellite really doesn't tell us much other than you got an eye and you have some, you know, cumulonimbus clouds on the east side, which is producing that little bumpiness. The infrared satellite and then the radar, which you are showing here, is a much better indication of what's going on. Okay, so two things here. You can see the eye, and you can see on the east side of the eye, the radar imagery appears to be more yellow as opposed to green. Two mm-hmm. things that are happening there. The radar site, Slidell, Louisiana, is 125 miles away from where this particular storm is. So you really can't see the other side of the storm because the east side is blocking the radar uh, or at least the microwave energy from getting to the other side. All right? The other thing, there's two bands of this. So the first ring, which is around the center of the storm, is the eye wall. The second one which is moving over uh, parts of the Mississippi Delta, is already producing wind gusts in excess of 125 miles an hour. And that's about 30, maybe 25, 30 miles from the center of the eye. So two things are going to happen. The first ring is going to move on shore with winds in easily in excess of 110, 115. And then the center of the eye, or at least the outer ring of the eye wall of the eye, will make secondary landfall. That'll actually be when we say the storm has made landfall. And with that, you'll probably get maybe about a one to two, maybe a three-hour period of winds at the surface in excess of 140 miles an hour. This is what we've been talking about with these rapidly intensifying hurricanes. Meteorologists call them the RI component, rapid intensification. When you get storms that can develop, over incredibly warm water, particularly in the northern Gulf. And the Gulf is like three to four degrees above normal. But if they're able to get over that loop current, use up all that energy, and develop in a, in a, in a matter of time where they don't have the available time to then almost fall apart on themselves, you're going to have devastation like we've never seen over and over and over again, year after year after year. Hurricane Michael back in 2018 Obviously, Katrina was one of those you can always kind of put back in, the, in, your, in your mental capacity there and say, yeah, everything is compared to Katrina. But even these smaller storms, Mike and Peg, now have the capacity to inflict catastrophic damage in a short period of time. And one of the things that's really important to talk about, Mike, you raised this point, is that that area of Louisiana, super high numbers of covid Hospital beds are filled. It's kind of like telling the people down there, you need to evacuate because if you're injured severely and you have to go to the hospital, there's no beds. So that's like basically telling someone, don't play with fire because the firemen have left the firehouse. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and uh, here uh, I'll go back to the the image uh, here. What What is it we're looking at here? Okay, so this is the regional radar. Before we looked at the... Uh, local radar. So yeah. the regional radar is basically looking at uh, a bunch of different radars, kind of like a composite. And if you can kind of see where Lake Pontchartrain is, I know it's kind of hard to put a cursor on the map, but if you notice, if you know where Lake Pontchartrain is, it's just to the north of New Orleans. On the northeast side of Lake Pontchartrain is like a big black dot. That's actually the site of the Slidell, Louisiana radar. Now, mm-hmm. right to or I should say not right to the east, but just to the east of that black dot 
is that little boot that comes down. That's that's that southeastern part of Mississippi. And mm-hmm. literally from that point on eastward was where Hurricane Katrina made landfall. So Katrina didn't hit Louisiana head on. It made landfall over the Delta, moved over Lake Bourne, which is that area of water to the east of New Orleans. So you have Lake Pontchartrain North, Lake Bourne to the east, and then you have the Gulf of Mexico. Katrina made landfall in Gulfport, Waveland, Bay St. Louis, past Christiane. Those are the ones that had 25 to 30 foot storm surge. And because Katrina moved to the east of New Orleans, the wind came in from the north and took all the water of Lake Pontchartrain and pushed it over the levees. Oddly enough, today is the anniversary, August 29th of when Katrina hit. So it's really amazing that we're getting these storms literally right on top of the same day. This storm is going to be very different for New Orleans because it's going to move to the west. You're going to have more of a wind impact for the western suburbs of New Orleans. And what this map shows here, we have two different parts of the radar. We have the one that depicts how much precipitation is falling. We have one that depicts what type of precipitation that we use more so for during the wintertime. This is actually showing the horizontal movement of wind. So when you have a lot of rain, you can actually see the wind a little bit better. The green indicates the air flowing towards the radar. So if you see where the eye of the storm is, and you look up, actually it looks like an Italian flag, doesn't it? With the yeah, red, it does. White, and, green. <laughs> and if you follow that white corridor all the way north to where Lake Pontchartrain is, you can see that black dot. That black dot is the center, or that black dot is where the radar is. So if you have air moving towards the radar, it's green. Once the air is right over the radar, it literally shows it as white, meaning it's not moving towards or away. Basically, it's mm-hmm. looking right up at it. Once the air moves away from the radar, it's red. So now go all the way down towards the um, eye wall, or at least the eye of the storm. Just to the east of that, it's showing very, very bright green. And now you go to the color legend on the right. And if you go all the way down to about just above the blue and go a little bit up above that, that bright green kind of indicates what is showing up just to the east of the eye wall. And then you look at the numbers there, and it shows it's hard to see, but you got it to be a trained eye. It's anywhere between about 130 and about 157. That's a knot. So I aligned it up with about 140 or so. So that means that the wind just on the east side of the eye is blown at about 140 knots. Now, because this is 125 miles away from the radar, it's not at ground level. So there's a little bit of a tilt. So it's probably about two or 3,000 feet above, but nonetheless – once that moves on shore, the wind blowing across the surface in about probably another hour and a half to two hours um, west of Grand Isle, well to the southwest of New Orleans, will be blown at about 120 to about 130 miles an hour, which is about an F3 tornado. But this is going to cover an area that's probably about 15 to 20 miles for about two hours. Out. So when you think F3 tornado, you think a couple of blocks for about maybe, what, 90 seconds at best? Mm-hmm. This is going to produce catastrophic wind damage to the ecosystem, to trees, uh, and the power lines. The reason why I didn't put people in there is there's not a lot of people live in that area. So that's the and only good thing. Migratory habitat as we're heading into fall yeah, migration. Yeah, yeah, this is that that's that's why it's important to talk about the ecosystem. Now this picture is actually from the Grand Isle webcam 
from yesterday showing obviously someone going in the correct direction. If you, that's one of those great boats that you see down there all the time. It's, you know, they, they basically a shrimper. If you go to the next image, I pulled this up at 810 right before the, the webcam went down. Wow. Now, this bridge has been rebuilt probably, I don't know, two or three times. It was totally destroyed during Hurricane Katrina. But think about all of the wildlife, the marine life. If you go back to the previous picture, if you think about all the marine wildlife that is habitat, habitating, that's the correct word, um, on that little inlet right there. And then you go to the next one. No, not only are they, back there. You know, all the wetlands. Not only is, is, is the marine life gone, the, the wetlands are gone. And this is, this is what, what are we looking at? Maybe 60, 70, maybe 80 feet. Now you're looking at 60, 70, maybe 80 miles. You know, last year we had five storms impact southern Louisiana. Four of them made landfall, all right? And one of them was, one of them was Category 4 Laura, which everybody went, oh, that wasn't that bad. Why? Because it didn't hit a lot of people. But then you focus on the fact that you have one of the largest ports in the United States in southwest Louisiana, basically at a commission. We're looking at like Sabine Pass in that area there, west of Vermilion Bay. Now, they're not going to be impacted by this. But if you look at that amount of storm surge year after year after year, how many times does it take for us to go, holy smoke, this wildlife isn't coming back? These, chem these chemical plants down there have to shut down for two or three days. You know, last week there was a huge run, or this past week, a huge run on gasoline because you can bring the oil into those refineries, but if you can't refine it, it stuff just lays down there as oil. So you have oil sitting there, not being used, and then you have gas not being able to find, or you may have gas in holding tanks or liquid natural gas not being able to be distributed. So now you have an impact on the economy. So last year, you know, when President Trump went down there and someone said, President, Mr. President, when are you going to start to think about rebuilding your these fortifying, you know, these areas? He goes, oh, don't worry about it. We'll rebuild. So when the Democrats infrastructure plan came up that had all this money for infrastructure, this is what they need to show. They need to show pictures like this and not just these flippant maps that show CO2 and the temperature. You really need to get down into what we call the granular part of the discussion and say, this is what we're trying to protect. Yeah. We're trying this to protect that person. This is what it means. Yeah. And, and then you show someone in their, in their Ford F-150 with their shrimper leaving on a Saturday, not being able to do their job on a Saturday, a Sunday, easily a Monday, and maybe even on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And, you know, you do this two or three times a year, year after year after year, you begin to get pissed off. These are the things that the Democrats and the green movement needs to show because that's the stuff that really resonates. All right. I've got All a, right. a few uh, more here, few and, more here. Um, that um, you sent. That Getting a little echo here. Sorry about that. But here we go. Here's the tropical force uh, wind speed probability. This is from about two hours ago. Yeah, and, and this one is basically just something that says where the tropical storm force winds are expected. Typically with this, you worry about power lines. You worry about trees being knocked down. When you have a hurricane that's, F, that's F4, that's category 4.75, you don't really worry too much about that. But now what they're going to begin to worry about is how long people's power is going to be out. 
And if you've ever spent any time without air conditioning in the deep south, you know, people go, oh, I love the south. It's great. Take away their air conditioning for a day or two. People get miserable. Take away their ability to keep things refrigerated. It's not like you can have a cooler, a styrofoam cooler with a bunch of ice, keeping hot dogs cold outside. That ice is going to melt really, really quick. So this is one of the problems that occurred in Hurricane Katrina was it took them almost four or five days to get supplies down there. This is the same problem with Hurricane Andrew back in 1992. You begin to see people really begin to unravel. Yeah, in Florida. Um, You really begin to unravel after the third or fourth day. You're probably not going to see that as much only because the population density isn't that high. But all it takes is getting the right reporters into the right community at the right time. And you'll hit a nerve. Well, and the other thing well, is the other thing is the uh, the, the hospitals uh, are, the hospitals are, are maxed are, out right are now. Maxed out right now. And <laughs> like, uh, like I said, before, you would normally it's like it's like saying the firemen have left the firehouse. What are you <laughs> going to do? These you mean there's there's nowhere I can go if I'm injured? Nope, you need to leave. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, if you're on a ventilator. Right, uh, right, and that's that's the point. Is that normally they would take these people, even in Katrina, they could get some of the folks over to Mississippi or to Texas, oh, yeah. or but all of those hospitals are maxed out right now. Right, right. I mean, and the reason why is because that part of the United States said, you know what? A, we don't like to vaccinate, and B, we don't like to evacuate. Gee, that word seems to have the two the same root words in it, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess some I guess so. But here's this map that um, that really kind of uh, strikes me, especially <laughs> given the flooding we had in Tennessee just a week ago. And in, and you've heard me talk about this over and over again. Where has been the wettest part of the United States our summer? It's been the uh, it's been well. Basically, we're looking at the map, aren't we? <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly right. New Orleans is 20 inches above normal for rainfall. 20. Now, granted, that's a swamp. So most of the rain that falls goes right back into the ground. But, yeah, if you go into the areas uh, northeast of Memphis and southwest of Nashville where they had 15 to 20 inches of rain, that was about a week and a half ago. Most of those areas have probably recovered. However, think about the people who lost their homes. Think about the people rebuilding. Now you have the possibility of another maybe four to six inches of rain over the course of two to three days falling on top of construction workers trying to get things rebuilt. So this whole business of we'll rebuild, it'll get colder. That's sticking your head up your you-know-what and making it seem like we have an unending you know, you know, credit card to fix things. That's not how to get things done. And, you know, meteorologists who watch these things, we don't want to see hurricanes. We don't want to see this stuff. But all it takes is one, and it kind of rewrites the ship. You know, we've had eight hurricanes and tropical storms so far this year. Most of them have been weak. This one is going to go down as very, very – I shouldn't use the word like that, very, very – but highly impactful from a standpoint of not only, Jesus, we had four or five last year. Now we got this one. And it looks like it's going to be a major wind event just west of New Orleans. The storm surge obviously is going to be a big deal from an ecosystem. But unless reporters go out there and cover that part of the story, unless people go, reporters go out there and cover the energy part of the story, 
the economic part gets lost. It, it really does. And, and somehow I wish news directors would try to get a different take on it and don't say that's for CNBC to do or that's for someone else to do. Talk about that kind of stuff because that's the stuff that really, as I said before, resonates and really kind of puts it into perspective about what these storms are capable of doing. And it's becoming way too common and way too normal to be talking about these rapidly intensifying hurricanes that continue to produce significant amount of damage. We got lucky last week with Andre, and we kind of got lucky with this storm as well. It could have been a lot worse, could have been a lot bigger, and you never like to use those words, but we got lucky with this one, even though it's going to be a high-end Category 4 as it's making landfall in the next hour. Yeah. Well, Rick, just to tag on to what you're saying. And, I, and I just, to, just to say, we, we're, we're, we're getting to the end here, so yeah. make it quick. Yeah. Ahead, but to Peg. be reported, not just the impact on southeast Louisiana, but then how is that affecting the economy all over the country, all over the world? Where you know, How are you going to feel that in Chicago? How are you going to feel that in, in Iowa? You know, that question. Connecting those dots. Yeah. Matter of fact, I was doing some preparation for my class tomorrow at Loyola. And two things I'm going to bring up. Uh, The fishing industry in that part of Louisiana is a $1.26 billion annual, you know, revenue stream. The recreational fishing in the northern Gulf is about $1.4 billion. Now, you would have to take those numbers add them up and divide by four or five to get what it costs per day. You follow what I'm saying there from a million dollar standpoint and then see whether or not, you know, restaurants in Chicago um, are being impacted by lack of delivery of seafood. Uh, You mentioned Iowa right now, that Southern part of the Mississippi river, which Mm -hmm. has a lot of boats going back and forth, shipping grain, shipping of grain. They're not, Right. They're not impacted yet because we haven't got into the harvest yet. But if this would have been, say, a month to a, maybe a month and a half from now, where you're shutting down the Mississippi River, it would have a huge impact, Peg, on shipping grain back and forth. So from that standpoint, trying to connect those dots, that's my job to do as an instructor. And those are the things that need to be talked about because, you know, it's only August 29th. If you get into September 29th and October 29th, which can still happen, those those questions then are, are more relevant at that time. All right. Well, there's actually weather happening in other parts of the country, like Chicago. Um, it's amazing we haven't had a chance to talk about forest fires uh, out, out west and, and the heat out there. Uh, but we're out of time. So what kind of a forecast do we have here? It, it's not your grandma's summer anymore, is it, guys? No, it's not. No. <laughs> I mean, it used to be summer was like, yeah, I'll take the summer off. It doesn't happen anymore. Nope. Right. So we had a couple, yeah, we had a couple of thunderstorms go through here uh, the last hour. We have a weak front that will move through between 8 and 9 o'clock this evening. So we're under the threat for some slow-moving, heavy showers, which we've had the last, what, Three or four days. I know, Mike, you had almost three inches of rain in your neighborhood a couple of days ago. I uh, um, Yeah, I had uh, two two events, one uh, that total were about three inches. Um, and yeah. I was surprised yeah. at how much rain I got here. And maybe I got about a half an inch. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And, and Peg, you even had, you had some rain this morning as well, yeah. I think, coming through. But it wasn't much. Yeah, it wasn't much. Uh, but the bottom line is... I, don't, I can't remember how many days we've had where the dew point has been above 75. i got to go back and look. 
and not only days, but number of hours. So that to me should be something that, you know, one of the interns over at the National Weather Service could be working on uh, for a project. Bottom line, heat and humidity for one more day today. We cool front comes through a slow drop in humidity during the day tomorrow and then delightful weather Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, northeast winds, upper 70s, low 80s. Again, hard to really cool off when that Lake Michigan water temperature in the middle of the lake is 77 degrees. Wow. That's right. The degree yesterday was 77. That's the Wait, highest I've seen it. That's a lower lake buoy? Yeah, yeah, that was southern Lake Michigan. Um, whether or not it's going to be that way today, I don't know. But, again, it's a shallow layer, but all it takes is the wind blowing across that. And you can open up your windows along the lakefront, but it doesn't do much. Well, uh, <laughs> speaking of interns, maybe we could get Skilling to get one of his interns to take care of that. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting <laughs> interesting uh, way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. All right, Rick, uh, great information. Thanks for getting us all those maps at the last second. Um, and uh, everybody cross your fingers that uh, that uh, people can uh, survive this, this hurricane. Um, and I'm hoping you're right that it, it could have been a lot worse, that, the, that uh, it won't be as bad as it looks because it looks pretty bad. It certainly does. Have a great day, guys. Take care. See you next week. Okay. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, wow. Uh, let's remind folks that uh, next week we ain't going to be here because um, let me – do that well people can watch us on lumpen radio next week if they uh not watch no 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 listen listen Listen. no no that's that's all we got is uh is audio on uh, lumpen radio because it is after all radio radio i gotta play the muppets doing that but speak (laughs) speaking of the muppets uh listen uh thanks to uh everybody who was on the show today our great guests in the first hour jc kibbe from uh the NRDC, Lisa Albrecht from Albright Solar and the Illinois Solar Energy Association, Dave Kraft from the Nuclear Energy Information Service. Uh, our thanks to Rick DeMaio. Uh, we'll see him in two weeks. I didn't tell him that we were not going to be back. Yeah, Kathleen uh, Legata, Basil. I think that's the about it. bird outside my window that oh, wants more. Oh, stop it. I don't want to hear about that. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 